Hey friend, you're listening to the Devoted Women Podcast. The audio you are about to listen to is a recording from our in-person Bible study meeting and is intended to be listened to after having completed the lesson in your workbook. So for this particular study, you can head on over to amazon.com, search Engaging God's Word Genesis, get your copy, do the work, and then hit play. We are so glad that you have joined us. It has been two full years since Tanea last taught. <laughs> two full years. Um, imagine the hope of being let out of prison. Um, we know that Joseph probably, I just spit, completely just spit. Um, <laughs> Um, he probably know he probably knows that his interpretations have come true, um, and he probably knows that the cupbearer has forgotten him. Two years. Yeah. So it opens up, and we see that Pharaoh dreams two dreams. This is important. Um, one weird dream might have been easy to shrug off. But uh, two dreams with the exact plot, minus the images, would definitely get anyone's attention. Um, We will see later on in the text that Joseph does tell Pharaoh that his dreams were one, but right now we're seeing them divided. Um, I do want to go ahead and pray right now just over this very familiar text, this teaching that um, we would get some new new insights into God's word. So let's pray real fast. Father, we just come to you and we just thank you for your word. We thank you. We thank you for um, familiar passages. God, um, you speak to our hearts. You know what we need to hear tonight. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that regardless of how much we know this text, how much we think we know, that you would um, just give us fruit. Give us goodness. Give us revelation. Let us see you tonight um, in all your glory. Speak to each of our hearts individually, and um, may we just store up and treasure every bit of what we learn of you tonight. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I know we're very familiar but there are a few things that I want to point out that I want to make sure that we don't miss. Um, number one is the river. It was the source of life. The Nile River, we've seen in, in other parts of our text throughout this study as a water source, a constant water source. We know when there's been famine in the la- other lands that our characters have been tempted to look, into e- to look at Egypt, not into Egypt, well, maybe. Um, and they're tempted to see the green, see the, the, um, the land that is fed by this water source. So we know, number one, that we can look at the, the river and um, we see in the dream that Pharaoh stands on the Nile, 
on the bank, and two, that the cattle came out of the Nile. So we should pay attention to the river. What does that mean? Um, we see, too, the livestock. We know from previous studies that when livestock is mentioned, it's, um, it uh, represents fruitfulness. Think about when we saw Abraham and it named his riches and all of those things. So we're seeing that here with the cattle. Cattle um, represents fruitfulness. And then um, the content of the stream was shocking. It goes against everything natural and normal. When we think of cattle eating one another, consuming one another, that goes against everything. These were grass-eating animals, so for them to come and consume one another would be shocking. It would be something out of the ordinary. Um, a fun grain fact, uh, we were joking, we were going back and forth, I kept calling it wheat, and then I'd call it corn, and then I'd call it rice, and I never called it rice, but um, <laughs> just grain. Let's just call it grain for the sake of, um, for your sake. I'll call it grain for your sake. Um, so the ears or the sheaves of grain, um, I found a fact that Egyptian wheat is remarkable in size and that a single seed could sprout up to 14 stalks and each of those stalks would then have a head of grain. Very interesting. It's going to come in handy when we need to store it up later, probably. We're going to need a lot. Um, the next thing that I want to point out is the east wind. Now, I know not one of us can understand what the east wind might look like or what it might do. We've not experienced it. I did wash my hair today, um, but after the east wind blew in um, today with all the dirt, um, we do in our desert climate with the winds that we get here in beautiful Artesia, we can um, understand what that means. And we can look to, to God's word in Ezekiel 19.12 and Hosea 13.15. This wind is described as drying and destructive. Candace lost a basketball goal and a swing set this last week. Um, yeah. Our condolences, Candace. <laughs> <clears throat> so here's what we can gather from these details that I'm pointing out to you that are kind of random, but important. Um, these dreams were relevant to the country of Egypt. So God spoke to Pharaoh with something that he could understand. And I want to point out that God does the very same thing for you and me. He speaks to us to where we can understand. He's not, he doesn't use confusing language. Um, his word, we can understand it if we'll take the time and pray to the Spirit of God to reveal to us what it means. God is not a confusing God. He is a mystery. There's no doubt about that, but he is not confusing. Um, the mystery, the beautiful mystery of God is that he's incomprehensible. We can't wrap our mind around him, but it doesn't mean that he ever speaks to us in language that is going to lead us astray or confuse us. So Pharaoh, he, he spoke to Pharaoh in things that were familiar to him. And in that we see that Pharaoh, Pharaoh awakes 
and he's disturbed. He has heard from the Lord. He, he's grasped it. Um, so I want to point out some of the wording found in these dreams. I'm going to kind of just skim over. I'm not going to really go because it is a familiar passage. Um, but I do want to point out the wording. We have words like fine looking and fat, ugly and gaunt, plump or fool, ate up and devour. And I think the author really wants us to see the contrast here in this wording. Um, so much detail goes into describing these dreams. We even see later on in verse 18, more detail added up, added on. And um, when we slow down, these words should jump out at us. The drama of the dreams got Pharaoh's attention and they should too get our attention. We need to ask ourselves, what is fine and healthy in our lives? What is ugly and malnourished? What do we allow to devour and consume our healthy spirit lives? Does it disturb us? Are we ate up or consumed with Jesus or with other things? The Bible tells us that the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And it tells us that he goes around seeking whom he will devour. This is not just a warning for Pharaoh and his country, but also a warning for us. In verse 8, we see Pharaoh calls for magicians and wise men. We see God's omnipotence, his all-powerful, He's an all-powerful God and supremacy here that really shines through. These men could not determine what the dreams meant, leaving God as the only source of wisdom. God is wise beyond all understanding. In the men's inability, Joseph is remembered. Just through what men can't perform that allows God to come in and call Joseph. And what is the best way for an all-powerful, supreme, reigning God to show his power and wisdom? Call some unknown Hebrew prisoner out from, from his long-awaited time. Um... We see here that Joseph, Joseph immediately coming out of prison is given an opportunity to glorify himself. He could have manipulated the situation. He could have used this opportunity to try to better his circumstances. He may have received money or a pardon for what he did. But instead, he gives God credit before he even starts interpreting before he even starts to talk, he chooses to glorify God. And as I wrote that down, I just thought like, gosh, that's what I want. I want to be so secure, so secure that God's way is better than my way. That bringing glory to God would be my decision maker. 
in everything that I do, not on a platform, not in front of people, but in my everyday, what I eat for breakfast, what I say to my kids, what I bring here, that giving God glory would be my daily decision maker and how I live out just my mundane Monday. So um, we'll go ahead and jump to verses 33 through 36 now. And we're going to see that not only does God give an interpretation through Joseph, but that he also offers a solution. What a great God we serve, y'all. He doesn't just have Joseph come in and tell of coming trouble. He tells Joseph what to do. And it makes me wonder if we do the same. Are we quick to just listen and point out bad situations or let a friend talk and agree that what they're going through is rough and never offer a solution, never act? Um, and even in that, are we pointing people to the solution, to the one who holds all solutions? That's exactly what Joseph did here. That's how God used him. And I just hope that not only bringing glory to God, but that we would do it um, in a way that it impacts others and, and changes their stories as well. So we're going to see Joseph go from prisoner to second in command. Tanea pointed out how quickly this really happened in the matter of a conversation. He's having a talk, and then he's suddenly appointed to second in command. And it just shows us in our lives how remarkably fast God can take a hopeless situation and just completely turn him around in an instant. It's a beautiful promise, a beautiful picture there. Psalms 105, 17 through 25, I'm not going to read it, but you can go back um, later on. Um, this psalm recounts Joseph's journey up to this point, but it also points us to the big picture of what we know to be the Exodus and the future of God's people. It's really awesome to think of Joseph and his beginning, or even Abraham's. We can go back and think about what's to come and what we know already of the rest of the story of Scripture. It kind of breaks my heart that we're almost done. Every time I sit down, I think like there's three more, there's four more, there's, um, it really is, which it's good. But I do encourage you to go and read the Psalm and then go back this week and map out your own life. Just take a morning and get a journal and sit down and start at the beginning even look back at your parents and your grandparents, maybe. I don't know. Take it however far you want to. But what took place and what brought you here? How cool to think that God has a what's to come for you, too. I, I highly encourage you to do that this week. So we see that Joseph is placed right where God wanted him. 
and we see confirmation of his position is sealed or signed. And I'm just gonna run through these real fast. Um, we see it with the signet, which we saw a couple of lessons back with Judah. Um, if you'll remember, Tamar took these very personal items, they referred to them as a driver's license, um, to show credibility to her claims. And this is exactly what's happening again here. Um, this would make the authority of Joseph unquestionable. Again, Joseph is given a coat of honor. We talked about that last lesson that I taught again. And um, we talked about the coat of many colors representing Joseph's rise to power. So we're seeing that come into play here tonight. He was given a gold necklace, riding in a chariot or a carriage, all just honors and privileges that you would get. And um, one thing I did found that was I did found, one thing I did found that was interesting um, was crying out, bow the knee. Now, in my mind, that immediately was like, okay, that's royalty. That's what you would do, right? But I did find that um, this Egyptian term um, was used not to, to uh, proclaim that he bowed, but to proclaim him neutralized um, so that he, it would remove any dislike of his status as a foreigner. Weird little fact. I don't know. My mouth is doing that thing. So, um, uh -oh, where was I? So Joseph gets right to work. Pharaoh puts him in place. He wastes no time. We see he immediately puts this plan into action that God has given him. And this, again, gives us a great picture of spiritual preparation for our own lives. Proverbs 2 tells us to store up God's commands, listen closely to his wisdom, and direct our hearts to understanding, seeking it like silver and searching, it, searching for it like hidden treasure. And then we're familiar, most of us, with Matthew 6, 19 through 20, and it tells us to lay up your, for yourselves treasures on earth. To not lay up. <laughs> Woo. To not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So we need to ask ourselves, what are we storing? What are we listening to? What are we watching? What are we seeking? What are we treasuring? Is it heavenly things or is it earthly things? I'll tell you right now, I've not been doing great in my storing. I feel like I got depleted. Um, turning on the TV more than I should be. I'm standing in front of you to tell you I need to refocus myself and um, I need to store up for times, for those draining, depleting times. So I want us to, um, oh, no, we must store up our spiritual provision for moments of famine or trials, even if it seems unnecessary or even weird. And I'm going to go into that, <laughs> why it would be weird. I want us to imagine this amount of food. Think about it. 
seven years. Um, remember, we talked about those grains and that there was 14 stocks and they were, I mean, it's just an abundance of food, probably, what it looked like. And they're adding it up and they're adding it up and they're storing it. And think about what it looks like one year later, two years later, three years later. It's pro people are probably wondering, why are you doing this? It seems excessive or even weird. Um, so it really, as I was writing this, it reminded me of the story of the ant and the grasshopper. Please raise your hand if you know the story of the ant and the grasshopper. Look, it's all, you don't know it. I do. You do. Oh, <laughs> Olympia. <laughs> Tanea did not know the story. I think it is generational. So there's the whole, for all you youngins, let me give you a recap. <laughs> and for those who just, I don't know, your mom was mean to you. <laughs> no, no, she never told you the story. Um, so the ant, he's a hard worker and he's storing and he's storing and it's summer and it's beautiful and the grasshopper even he's not storing up but not only that he's mocking he's it's so silly that you're um storing all this why are you doing all this and then we know winter comes and it's horrible and um it's kind of exactly our story here so um the ant has to then care for the grasshopper because the grasshopper was a loser and he didn't get any seeds. <laughs> he didn't get any of that huge Egyptian wheat. He should have been saving it. So <laughs> that's what she said is bugs life. Is that what you just said? Yeah. So, um, okay, back, getting back to where we were at. Um, because Egypt, like the ant, had stored, had filled its storehouse, it not only could care for its own people, but for the other countries that needed provision. When I have what I need and my family has what they need, then I can then take that and spread it and give to those who didn't have something. I almost said something so inappropriate right there. It was a joke and I'm not gonna, <laughs> it was a joke, okay? I didn't say it. So um, God gives us extra so that we can then give his provision to others. That is the picture of storing up your spiritual so that you can then pour out. So as we move on, we're going to encounter Joseph marrying. I'm not going to stay here for a long time, but I do want to, did anybody catch who he marries? Mm -hmm. Did we question it? Did we wonder? Um, I definitely did. I know that as we had been reading, marrying a pagan woman from certain cultures was not allowed, and it made me kind of scratch my head. I did find one thing here. I'll tell you it's not something that I would put all my, my money on, but it is a, a relevant point, so I'll bring it up, that um, Potiphera, like Jethro, who was Moses' father-in-law that you'll meet later on in Exodus, um, he, Jethro was a priest of Midian, and 
he too may have been a worshiper of the true God. So um, this Potiphera may be like Jethro, and it had some other, back. you can go and Google it and look it up. Google it. Maybe don't go Google it. That was bad advice. Go look it up. Go see what you can find. And um, But it would then explain um, that Joseph maybe didn't um, marry an idolatrous woman after all, and his marriage was was legit and okay. So go dig yourself. That's what I could find. I don't know. Um, and then we see him have his boys. I hope you guys went to the website, took the time to just sit in that beautiful story of glory and healing and restoration and all the beauty that was there. We did look at the names of the boys and I'm going to just read the meanings of their names one more time just to lead us into our next part. Um, Verse 51, and I'm in the NLT here. For God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family and what they did to him, no doubt. That's not the NLT, that's me. And then verse 52, God has made me fruitful in the land of my grief. It's just beautiful. And y'all, God is so good. He heals and restores. Um, He gives Joseph this beautiful picture, this realization of what God has done in his life, where he's carried him, what he's been through, regardless of all of it. God has given him fruit in the land of his grief. And um, God gives that to Joseph before he has him confront his past. I don't know if any of you have a past, a hurtful past. You've lived things. Maybe you're living them right now. Um, But see what God does here with Joseph. He gives him this reassurance, this beauty, this, and then he brings up Joseph's now going to walk through the past, and I'm going to go into that, but God's sweetness there right before, it's just so, so beautiful. I'm sure saying beautiful a lot, but it is. So um, he now, God is gently, as we enter into 42, he's going to gently move Joseph into a repeat of what had happened. Joseph is ready to meet his betrayers, also known as his brothers. And there's so much redemption, um, beauty, but most of all healing in these next few verses. It's mind-blowing to me. We also see a beautiful picture of justice. It's not the the justice of the brothers getting what they deserve. But it's the perfect justice of God. This is a picture of what happens when we don't avenge ourselves. It's a picture of what only God can do with a hurtful past. So we're going to start at the start. We see right off that Joseph's brothers bow to Joseph. This is the fulfillment of the dream 
back from lesson 24. And if we can remember there, this is what started every bit of this in the first place. And then we're going to see repeat number two. Joseph accuses his accusers. We see in verses 9 through 16 the word spies on repeat. And we can gather two things from this. Um, the first is to point out the deceptive character of these brothers. And the second, um, do we remember what Joseph would do? He would go in his father's command to go and give a report. Mm -hmm. Technically, he was a spy. So again, we see God's ironic justice playing out. Repeat number three, Joseph takes captive those who put him into captivity. The brothers are held for three days, and like Joseph, they start to encounter their past. It's happening right before our eyes. Joseph commands Simeon to be held back. We I'm, Possibly he was the original instigator of all of this, or um, possibly Reuben was the one to step up and save Joseph's life, so the second oldest is held back. Um, but either way, um, we see Simeon have to stay and the other brothers go back to collect Benjamin and bring him back. Um, repeat number four, Joseph returns the money to their sacks. He wouldn't profit from his brother's bad fortune as his brothers did profit for his. The money in the sacks represents Joseph being sold. Repeat number five. The brothers again bring awful news to Jacob. This time there is no pleasure in their delivery. This time the harshness of their reality and what they face when they return to Egypt or what, they, or what they face if they don't return to Egypt. Either way, it's a grave outcome. Um, this has a sobering effect. They realize their past actions didn't just affect Joseph and Jacob. It affected all of them. And um, finally, our last one, repeat number six. Reuben, trying to again gain favor with his father, he comes up with, again, another radical, crazy, craziness. He's going to offer up his own sons, Jacob's grandchildren. Jacob can kill his own grandchildren if his son isn't returned safely. Um, it's just a cuckoo plan, um, but it is very like human. It is very like human. That was great. That's not in my notes. <laughs> like us as humans to um, come in a panic and try to come up with some plan to save the day um, instead of seeking God and what he has. Um, and always our irrational plans lead to more stress and just mess making, which we've seen that play out over and over again. So, um, Last time I taught, I said the next time we meet Judah, he will be a different man. 
Candace is going to go into that next week. And um, we're going to witness Judah step up to offer a real solution to this family's problems. So that's what I have for you. We'll pray and we will get out of here. God, we just thank you so much for your word and your goodness and a, a picture tonight of restoration and redemption and healing. God, I know that you have redeemed my past. I know that you are still in the process of healing hurts in my life. God, I thank you for the story. I thank you for the words of hope, of your love, of your unmatched authority. God, I pray that each and every one of us would give you our hurts, would trust you in the hard places, would let you change the things um, that have affected our hearts, our spirits, our souls. God, we prayed over hurts tonight. We prayed over needing healing. God, the story is the perfect picture of that. We're forever grateful Jesus, for what you did and what you are doing. We long for your return. We love you and we praise you and we thank you. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.